Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish, so it's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend. I'm so excited to be here. Day late, dollar short today. We had a little COVID problem in my family. We lost my wife's grandmother this morning, in fact, to COVID-19. And uh, so wear your stupid mask. Stop it with all that silliness. Um, maybe, maybe you don't need to lose any more people. But we're pretty broken up, but we're going to be okay. And you know, the show goes on today. We're excited because today, Fish Guy Josh is here too, because we've got Fish Guy Follows. He's going to talk to Tracker about Tracker products from YouTube. And even bigger than that, it's time for the Fish Nerds Book Club, the Effin Book Club, and we are very lucky because some of my favorite people on the planet are with us. We have Doc Martin and Jeff Donaldson. Doc Martin is our chief science correspondent from Kansas, and Jeff Donaldson is our Effin librarian. Uh, and tonight we're talking about The Feather Thief by Kirk Wallace Johnson. Jeff and Doc, let's get right into this. Welcome to the show. All right, and so we're going to be talking about The Feather Thief. This is a book that has been requested on the Fish Nerds um, book club for a few years now. And then this, about a month or six weeks ago, Jeff demanded we do this. Yes. Uh, I think think your words were the only way we can get through COVID-19 is by reading about feathers. Yes, exactly. Is that a quote? And, and like, how, just how, like, uh, yeah, how I had no idea that there was this like crazy trade in, you know, exotic feathers for Atlantic salmon fly tying. I mean, it just, I knew about the full dressed flies, but I did not know there was this whole world that was so, uh, so into it that they would commit <laughs> serious crimes to. Well, before you blow it all up, let, yeah. me, let me talk to the listener here. Uh, so if you have not read the feather thief, this is going to be about a 15 or 20 minute discussion about, the book, The Feather Thief by Kirk Wallace Johnson. We will have spoilers. We're not going to hold back anything. It's not a new book. So if you don't want spoilers, you want to stop this episode, go read the book, and then come back and listen. Here's the uh, description. One summer evening in 2009, 20-year-old musical prodigy Edwin Rist broke into the Natural History Museum in Tring, home of one of the largest ornithological collections in the world. Once inside, Rist grabbed as many rare bird specimens as he was able to carry before escaping into the darkness. Kirk Wallace Johnson was waist deep in a river in New Mexico when his fly fishing guide first told him about the heist. But what would possess a person to steal birds and had wrist paid for his crime? In search of answers, Johnson embarked upon a worldwide investigation, leading him into fiercely secretive underground community obsessed with the Victorian art of salmon fly tying. Was Edwin Wrist a genius or a narcissist? mastermind or pawn and um i thought it might be fun before we get into it doc and jeff if you don't mind you read the book i assume mm-hmm. i thought i'd maybe read you some one-star reviews oh god yes please do that kind of warm us up <laughs> i'm so excited so, <laughs> and these are from amazon so this is from uh beatrice izzy uh, one-star review uh, she says, blind to gender, race, and the emotional issues that are a real problem behind feather collecting. The author is smart, great writer, and wow, 
what an overview of the rise of an aristocratic and scientific interest in natural history and why people are collecting specimens in 19th and 20th century. So far, so good. Uh, these blind spots of the author, though, are ruined. They ruin the entire story for me. First, he calls by her first name, Adele, the police chief in England, who investigated the rest by Edwin Rist. Why? He calls everyone else by their last name, and mm. a journalist should. And I was jarred every time he referred to the chief as Adele, as he always described how she looks. He doesn't describe most of the male figure's appearances, uh, but he goes on with that. This goes on not for a long time. So first of all, I think she's calling him sexist. Uh, also, the author should investigate the emotional motives of the fly, tire, and feather collector. They all seem to be avoiding emotional pain. The author did a good job with a Norwegian accomplice, Long's feelings of abandonment, but the author let everyone else off easy, not asking questions about their similarities to pedophiles exchanging pornography. Wow. So that's uh, her one-star review. Sounds like she liked the book, though. Like, she seemed to really get into it. Yeah. I, yeah. Sounds like she liked it. She's just annoyed. Um, I don't know. And maybe it's one female reviewer to another, but um, there's that, that pattern. Um, yes. So when I was a graduate student, um, all the male graduate students that were PhD candidates were called by their last name, and I was always called by my first name every single time. Um, that's sexist. So that's definitely a really noticeable pattern, but you don't, and people don't do it on purpose. You know, it's one of those no. subconscious things that like, that's just kind of ingrained in our society, maybe unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something that uh, you notice, especially when you become, I think, in the professional world. So yeah, I mean, we do live in a sexist culture still. And I think that's a sexist cultural attribute there. Mm-hmm. So that was a one-star review. We, there must be some better ones than that. <laughs> Here's one. Um, one-star review from uh, Ballerina Astronaut. We like our share of stodgy literature and unique stories, but this we could not keep listening to on our audio version. So she hated that one. Audrey Anderson got through the first chapter, lost interest. Guess I don't care about stuffed bird thieves. <laughs> and I then another if it one makes uh, a difference. Yeah. I've never listened to audiobooks. Do you, either of you? Mm-hmm. I, I do. So, I do sometimes. Yeah. I can't. I don't want someone else to read it to me. It makes me very upset. <laughs> so I can't do fiction as audio books. I just, it just doesn't work for me, but like not nonfiction, I, I will listen to as an audio book. Um, a lot of times I kind of just think of it as like a very long lecture. <laughs> um, oh. if it's a, a, you know, or, but in a good way, you know what I mean? It's like, I typically listen to audiobooks about things I want to learn about. Okay. Right. So I will, I will listen to stuff. Um, and, but choice of narrator is huge. I could if see you were, Oh yeah. I mean the great, the right narrator can like make or break a book. And a lot of times they have authors read their own books Bad. and most of them are terrible. Uh, <laughs> I could see that too. Right. Yeah. I mean, Mm-hmm. Most most author narrators are just terrible, unless there's somebody who, like say like David Sedaris, who is already a person who does spoken word performances mm-hmm. of his, you know, kind of his. I don't I don't like him. Yeah, I think but, he's funny, but I don't like when he reads his own stuff either. I did yeah. listen. I did. I did listen to this one as audio myself. Okay. And I I thought the reader did a great job. Here's one more review for you. Then we'll get into our review of the book. Okay. Uh, this is from uh, a person named OK. Uh, one-star review, send them all to jail, especially the editor. 
Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is a true crime story where the bad guys go free. What a frivolous waste of travesty of justice. I threw it away. So he didn't like it because it told a real story where the bad guy got away. Sorry so about reality. Sorry if you, yeah, because it's real. <laughs> yeah. This true story didn't end the way I wanted it to. One star. Right. One star. <laughs> Put them all in jail. So, all right. So let's, let's, Jeff, you want to lead this conversation? You're a fly guy. Yeah. So what got me? Yeah. So what got me interested in this was I had heard of the book and it it had kind of gone around fly fishing circles and I think I may have heard it referred to on the on, a, on another podcast which will remain un, unnamed. Was it a good uh, podcast? Uh, yeah, it's actually the Orvis Fly Fishing Podcast. Those um, bastards with the yeah, Tom Rosenbauer. So anyway, <laughs> I'd heard of it um, talked about and he actually I think he actually had Kirk Wallace Johnson on. <laughs> Um, but then I kind of fell off my radar for a while, and lately I've been doing a ton of fly tying, and I have been like investing in materials and so things like a, a quality dry fi- dry fly, um, what's called like a saddle hackle. Um, you know, they they breed these birds specially for the for the hackle. And then they grade it and stuff like that. And Jeff, as you're talking about these, like, like I'm not a fly guy. Right. If you say something in hackle, can you help help us people who use worms out? <laughs> right. So hackle, if when when people wind a feather around a hook and it kind of all sticks out, um, so like on your dry flies, those it's the part that's that's so for dry fly hackle, it's it's a stiff feather. It comes off the back of a of a rooster. Um, off the neck. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they, yeah. And so they, um, (laughs) they're much more stiff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So they're much more stiff, um, fibered. Um, so they like basically kind of hold up the fly on the surface tension and then you have soft hackle, which is not as stiff fibered. But anyway, these, these feathers, like the, the, They've selectively bred all these different. I've got a, an assistant here that keeps getting in the way. Um, they they breed these birds uh, and have selectively bred them to produce just amazing, long, perfect feathers that, like, fly tires of you know fifty years ago would die to see this kind of like material. But it's expensive. So, like, you go to look at one of these things, and you're like, you want $150 for this, you know, for these feathers? <laughs> um, but it <clears throat> turns out that it's so much easier to work with the $150 feathers than the than the $25 feathers. Is they're it just, $100 better. better? Um, or is it $20 better? Like- so, typically, you get, like, a lot more flies per feather um, for, like, a high-grade um, for a high grade hackle, you get they're really long and they're all the same size. They're the same size all the way out down that really long feather. So you can use one feather to tie like four or five flies. Um, and also they're like the the kind of like little barb density. The little parts that stick out are much higher on those. So it has like. It doesn't, you don't have to wind them as much and they're longer and the stems don't break as easily. I mean, it's, it's a, it really is a, there really is a difference. Um, and anyway, that kind of, I was like, this is crazy. 
And then I got, I remembered this, this book about how people would pay a hundred dollars for a feather. You know, I was like this. So, you know, I, I got interested in that. Um, and it's, I like it cause it's a true crime story. And, and a lot of times when we think of true crime, we always think of the grisly, horrible murder stuff. That's always kind of what, you know, the true crime junkies, uh, they want, I know, because they come to the library and they're like, what's the newest horrible, terrible, awful serial killer, <laughs> you know, true crimes book. And so I'm having to look that up. But so this is kind of an interesting true flaw, true crime story with kind of a, 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 a critique of uh, the kind of the secretive society of these uh, Atlantic salmon fly tires. Yeah. You know, and also, Jeff, is yeah. you keep saying Atlantic salmon. One of the things I noticed the very first quarter of the book is they never once said Atlantic salmon. Yeah, the, they said it was salmon. They said yeah. salmon flies. And, I found, and they described these salmon as spawning and dying. And all of a sudden, they, they got the biology way off for Atlantic salmon. Yeah. <laughs> they named the fish, and then they described Pacific salmon. When yeah. they described the fish's behavior, the way they act. Which, I, which blew my brain up because I was like, wait a minute, you got paid to write this thing. It would take you a whole three minutes to get that right. Yeah, and the guy's an angler himself, you yeah. know, although I don't know how serious he is. Um, but, you know, the, so it all kind of goes back to this Victorian era of, of uh, you know, colonialism, really. You can look at this also as like kind of a study of colonialism. Well, sure. Um, they do a great job of taking, uh, Kirk is his name, right there, Arthur? Yeah. It was a great job of taking us through the history of exotic uh, feathers through fashion, mm-hmm. you know, all those hats that, women's wore, yeah. that women wore back in the day, uh, right up through the Victorian fly tying. And it was really interesting to see the same thing. And the value we put on rarity or something we yeah. think might be rare and, uh, and adding that value in. And then the, the intricacy of the fly tying and, and how how crazy specific these flies need to be tied to be authentic yeah. uh, versus what the fish care about, which is nothing to do with the one or the other. Like they're unrelated. And he was, he described a lot of the flies have being tied with no intention of ever putting them in the water. In fact, a lot of the fly tires don't fish. Yeah. Most, uh, almost all these now are never fished with. Um, they're just, you know, this thing's got hundreds of dollars worth of rare feathers in it to, you know, you're not going to throw that in a river and snag it on, on the bottom on your first cast, which is basically what I do every time I cast a fly out. But um, so, yeah, it is. Um, and the, I, the ideal of wanting to possess natural beauty, I think was an interesting thing in there. It's like, this is something that I've always kind of thought about, you know, I hunt, but I hunt for like, I want to eat it. <laughs> you know, I mean, when I, I see people decorate my walls with dead. that's exactly it. I'm like, those antlers look just fine on the deer out there in the field. You know, you shot it just so you could take those antlers and put it on your wall. I don't quite understand that. You know, I mean, uh, I, they look better on the deer, you know? So, uh, but yeah, that, that desire to possess like natural beauty, um, at the expense of the thing that you're wanting to possess, right? So, you know, you're creating a market that's going to drive these things into extinction. So, yeah, and I, I think so. And I thought Kirk also did a really good job. And Doc, you might want to chime in on this. He brought us through a lot of taxonomy, uh, 
of of the birds and how they're organized and how the how they're put together in the museum. Doc, you want to chime in on that? You, that's kind of your wheelhouse. Um, yeah, so obviously not bird taxonomy. Uh, that's not in my wheelhouse, but general taxonomy is. And so, um, interestingly, um, I read the book uh, Naming Nature. Uh, Jeff, I think you've read that one. So one of the fish nerds had when I, I posted about it um, by Yoon is her last name. And that is all about how we got to the modern taxonomy that we have now and how much of a mess it is um, and how, you know, even when I teach it in introductory biology, we teach Kingdom Brown class order family genus species. Look how easy it is. And I tell students like, it's, it's not that easy, right? That's not how species are. That's not how they exist. And so that coupled with the previous book that we read, um, oh, Clay, what was it? The fish, the, the fish book, the fish book. Um, what, what, the why, dragon why, behind why the glass. Dragon yeah, behind the dragon behind the glass. Yep. We, we read along. And yeah. so, you know, there's another one where you're looking at this collection of wild things for aquarium. There it is. And um, I just think that do we really know what's out there? How well do we know that a species is its own species versus subspecies or new species we haven't, you know, discovered yet and things like that. So when I'm, I'm reading this, which the taxonomy I'm sure is right. Bird people in general have a really, really um, robust taxonomic identifications for their birds. They're kind of known for that, but these are a little bit interesting. I don't, I don't know a lot about this particular, these particular species by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But it's interesting that they have a lot of skins in the museums. And I just wonder I'm sure this is the case if they've looked at how closely related different species are, um, are all the skins that they have that we assume they're the same species. Are they really, or are they distinct geographically or morphologically or something like that where I don't know. And certainly if you take them from a museum, no one will ever know. Right. Um, Right. And a lot of these birds are really hard to get to. They're in a location that's, that's, tough and not easy to access or just, you know, dangerous or difficult or whatever. And so, you know, there's a lot of scientific worth there, which I really, uh, I liked how the author kind of put it that people don't always appreciate that. Not all people, but most people don't see they're just sitting there and not being used. Um, what is science going to do with them? Are they going to have it done in five years or 50 years or a hundred years? I mean, what's the point? And it's, yeah. Well, and we'll cycle back to that later because at the end of the book, they really get into that a little bit more yes. with trying to justify actions. We'll save that for the justification part of, of it. I think. Can I tell you about yeah. my fly tying experience? Well, please. So I used to tie flies when I was like 12 or 13 years old. My mom, my mommy got me a fly tying kit. And so I really liked it. I, I was really into that as a, a preteen and throughout my teenage years, I would just tie little flies, nothing fancy. I didn't care about what the material was. Um, and then as a college student, I just stopped doing it. First, I don't really fish very much. Um, and so I was like, what's the point in making flies if you don't fish, which is really funny after reading this book. Apparently that's the thing people do. Um, <laughs> I, I had no idea. But I ended up trading my fly tying kit for a kayak, and I never looked back. <laughs> wow, the kayaks are pretty great, and you can buy flies. That's right. <laughs> so, so let's get into kind of kind of the arc of the story. So basically, there's this kid who is a flutist, a flautist, flautist? a flautist, 
uh, American flautist in in England. Uh, it, uh, some super talented, super talented. Like, yeah, yeah. And he wants to buy a new flute, but he's also a master fly tying from a young age, fly tire from a young age, and making waves in the fly tying world. What I found interesting was was the timing on this book. When I first thought about this, I thought this had to had to happen before internet, because it'd be so easy to solve this crime with the internet, um, which is with a big fail. So basically, this kid got into this whole thing. Then he found out some of the most rare feathers he could ever find were at this museum, the Trin Museum, and he wanted to go look at them. So he called the museum, lied about why he wanted to visit and see these skins, went and did it, and then plotted the uh, the the uh, <laughs> the crime of the century on how to steal these feathers. And what he did was he went into the museum after dark, broke into a window, climbed in with a suitcase, and stole it was like like two hundred ninety nine skins. And yeah. left, and then nobody noticed for a long time. Well, they noticed the window was broken, but right. they didn't really know what had been stolen. Right. And having worked, I've worked in museums, and I've gone through a time where I never opened up certain drawers for months and months and months because why would you? You know, it's it's not you know like every day going. I was like, what's in that drawer? Oh, the same thing that was in that drawer yesterday and three weeks before. So it took a long time to notice. In that time, he was trying to sell these feathers. He had a, you know, a couple of eBay accounts. He had a couple of friends help sell with them. And he was making a ton of money. And then finally, they figured out they were stolen and they had to figure out who stole them. And this is where the, kind of, some of the big fails happened, I think, in the investigation. So am I, am I covering it pretty good? Yes. Yes, you are. Hero. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of our book club. Uh, <laughs> and so what I found... You know, once once these guns are stolen, you put, and, you, and you're kind of on his st- side. You want him to make money, and I think you, Doc Martin, didn't, but I did. I want him to like get rich because he's a flautist, and I like flute music. Um, Doc, you were not on his side at all. No, no. <laughs> he violated scientific trust. That guy can fly <laughs> yeah, away and- with his feathers. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah, and as like a a librarian, is like you know associated with museums and archivists and stuff like that. I'm like, Oh, this is terrible. You yeah. know, it's like, it's, you know, the, the, the information contained in those skins is priceless. Um, and the fact that he took them and the, the biggest crime I th- think is that he cut the tags off of them so that you could no longer tell where they came from, who harvested them, when, where that's just, you know, I mean, now you can get them back, but they're kind of useless. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. And some of those were like collected by Alfred Russell Wallace, who was, you know, one of the co, the not so well-known other person who came up with the theory of evolution kind of independently at the same time as, as Darwin. And so I like that part of the book his, at the beginning. Tremendous oh, yeah. historic value as well, you know, and, yeah, I just, yeah, to me, it's like, I'm with Doc. It's a, it's a, just a despicable crime. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. was, I was rooting for him. I have about <laughs> zero sympathy. <laughs> well, well, wasn't he from a wealthy family? Cause they talked a lot about how there was no TV on in the house, but then he'd watch the VHS tape over and over of the fly tying guy. And that's how he got into it. So I'm like, how do you watch a tape over, over if the TV is always off? Okay. First of all, that's my question. 
fair point. I, I think I, I didn't pay that close attention to that background, but I was listening to, listening to it, and I was, I think I was fishing while I was listening, so I think I was half, half in the game at that point. And, I, and to be honest, the first half of the book, I was kind of like, I got mad about the get, not naming this, the fish they were fishing for properly, and I, I kind of tuned out some of the you know, words after that. So, so he got the skins, and he couldn't travel with them, so he had to leave them in England. He went back and forth to the United States and back to England again. He tries to sell them. He sells a whole bunch of them online. He's not that sneaky about it, and the, they can't catch him. They can't figure out who did it. Okay, so the police can't catch him, but, like, the other fly tires can't or yeah. won't. Won't. No, they won't. They, they're like, yeah, they're they're like they're like pretending that they're just like going. Well, the these community. must have came. They they must have come from some hats that were found in a in a you know I think wasn't that kind of the 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 cover that they use is like well these were some for some old hats from mm-hmm. that era of when everybody had to have a bird of paradise on their hat yeah. um, era that you know you find these things and then. You know, in, in, you know, Aunt Edna's attic, you know. Well, and well, it's you, interesting, Jeff, because I have an antique fly tying kit that belonged to my grandfather-in-law. And I have polar bear skins in it. Yeah, I saw that. With fur on it. And, and I wonder what other birds in there I have that would be illegal today to have. And is it legal to even have the kit I have? Um, I don't know. So, so the polar bear fur, I think... It's okay for you to have it. I don't think you could sell it though. Um, it's worth twenty five cents. Yeah, it's twenty five cents then. Um, I don't think. I think the bird stuff has been pretty consistent back quite a while. Because um, I'm a member of a whole bunch of different fly tying groups. Right. And well, people, all I have for bird skins, I have osprey. I've got bald eagle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's it. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dodo. Dodo. A couple of dodos. Yeah. Great auk. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no. So, like, I'm a member of a whole bunch of fly tying groups on Facebook, and people will always be like, hey, I found this dead blue jay in my yard. Can I use these feathers to tie flies? And everybody's like, no, you can't. Um, you I can't mean, use any. No, you cannot. Oh, um, I didn't any, know. No, no, no. The only birds that you are allowed, the only things that you are allowed to possess are game bird feathers. So, if it's something you can hunt, you can have those. Uh, can I use a blue jay? You could use a um, starling. You could because that's a, an introduced species. It's yeah. basically a pest. Um, um, and you can use birds that have been commercially raised, mm. say pheasants and things like that. Most of the pheasants you get are like com- commercially raised, and and there's some other rare birds like silver pheasants or. Uh, Jungle cock, jungle cock's one thing that you see all the time. That is that what people want, um, and it, they can be raised. It's just expensive because they're not as easy to raise as a chicken, you know. Um, but any bird that's like you know, any migratory bird, any songbird, pretty much anything that's not a game bird that you can shoot, <laughs> you cannot. Or a, a a bird that's been raised on a farm. Um, you can't possess a feather. So if you find a dead blue jay, you technically are not allowed to have those feathers. You should not possess them. Hmm. People are like, well, what, you know, what difference does it make? And I'm like, let's just don't go down that road. Right. You well, know, that's kind I of mean, the, the trick is, is, is if you start justifying stuff, 
you can justify nearly anything. So right. uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But so, so he got packaging these feathers up, selling them on eBay, selling them on online forums, uh, making a real name for himself with what he was selling. He was able to buy his flute, still advance his flautist education. Um, and for months, they went by, they could not figure out who did this crime. And the whole time I'm reading this, this is like 2010 this is happening. Mm-hmm. The internet's been around quite a while at this point. Now, in that point, like I remember like uh, someone stole skis in my local area once. The very first thing you do when you're investigating a theft is you go to Craigslist, you go to yeah. eBay, and you look to see if those things are for sale, and you find the guy, or usually it's almost always a guy, I hate to be sexist, but sorry, Doug. Um, but it's almost always a guy. You find the guy who stole your junk, because they're reselling it. It's easy to do. For some reason, the, uh, the investigator, whose name I won't use because I only know her first name, uh, <laughs> did not do the basic Googling. <laughs> well, weren't they, for a long time, um, they didn't realize why anyone would steal the feathers, so they didn't realize you yeah. could even sell them. They didn't think that they were sellable. Is that, if that's what I remember reading correctly, because they're like, yeah. the heck, came in here to steal feathers like they just didn't even realize the fly tying community existed and that that was a thing. So I think that might be why they didn't look for them because they really didn't think they had any value to sell. They sat with some yeah. crazy birder, hat collector. Yeah, either yeah, bird birder or they just, you know, like, oh, these things are rare, so I'm going to take them mm-hmm. just because they're rare. And so I think right, that's but, what they thought. Yeah. But he was listing them under their actual scientific names. I know. It wasn't like he was being sneaky about selling them. I mean, just it, I, I don't think it takes that much of a leap to do a Google search to find this stuff for sale. I just think it just went over there. I think you're right, Doc. They just went right over. It didn't occur to them mm-hmm. that they would be selling these things. Yep. It took a while to figure that out. Which I kind of, I mean, appreciate if you're not in the fishing world at all. Like, how are flies made? I don't know. You know, like, people probably just, just don't know. I've read a lot yeah. of books recently about how, how much people don't know. It's very humbling. <laughs> people don't know much. <laughs> yeah, more people should read those books. <laughs> so, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead Clay. Clay. Okay. No, go ahead. So, so they, they eventually, though it came back to haunt him. And he had, in, in, he had uh, worked with people all over the world to help resell the, and repackage these things. And eventually, hundreds of pieces of birds got distributed around the world to different fly tires. And they loved, they loved these birds. It was uh, Indian crow was the big one they kept saying over and over again in the book. And eventually, uh, the, the, you know, the crows come home to roost, as they say. Is that a real saying? <laughs> yeah, well, the... <laughs> I thought it was the chickens, but it's close. In, in this case, it was a, it was the crows. Yeah, uh, and they came back to roost, and he got busted, and he immediately, this guy has no backbone. He immediately just admitted everything. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, I stole it. I did it all, and he just just leaked. He just just a big mess. Uh, and then it goes, you know, it, it, this is in England, and so it doesn't have to go to a jury trial. And he goes to court, and he ends up um, getting off the hook, basically, because he's a. Oh, that's he, right. well, yeah, he's a, so he, he got busted in his apartment uh, with his, his girlfriend was there, 
And he got all this stuff happened and he, he got off the hook because he found a doctor who would claim that he was an Asperger's. Um, he had Asperger's, diagnosed with Asperger's. Baron and Cohen. very recently. Yeah. Yes. It's like Sasha uh, Baron Cohen's, um, Cohen's cousin, uncle, right? isn't it? Cousin yeah. or uncle? Yeah. yeah. That's right. And so he got off the hook because he claimed to have um, beyond the spectrum to be to be Asperger's, and very recently in England, someone else got off the hook for the same thing, and the judge didn't want to wade into those waters and basically just set him free with basically a year. They said, you know, if you don't mess up the next year or so, you're free to go. And he got away with the feather crime of the century. Yeah. And then the author of the book decided to go on a worldwide quest to try to find the rest of the skins. And I, I can't tell if he wanted to return them to the museum or not, or just uh, learn about them. I, I got confused kind of I, the second, third of the I book. I feel like he wanted to return them to the museum. Um, and I think he wanted to, you know, get more, you know, more information from Edwin Rist, uh, you know, and found that the, like the interview that he had with him to be, you know, uh, I don't see any like real, uh, repentance or regret on, on, on Rist's part. Well, he that's kinda... when we get into the justification. First of all, we find out that Rist seemed to seemed to be faking the Aspergers. You know, he he was able to turn that on and off, and then he seemed to be justifying what he did by saying what, what Doc was saying earlier. There's no value. This is a quote from Doc. There's no value to storing uh, <laughs> things. In a museum forever. Hey, is that, hey, that is what he had said. I very much disagree with that. A lot. <laughs> Vehemently disagree with that. Yeah. <sighs> but he was, he was justifying it, uh, but he got off the hook. And, but he just kept talking, though. I, I, I was amazed that he sat for, it was like an eight or nine hour interview yeah. with the author of the book. It just dumped, just seem like honesty to seem like just saying everything. Yeah. I just don't think he truly comprehends the gravity of, maybe he doesn't truly understand the gravity of what he did. If, if you don't understand the scientific value of them, you just don't get what you did. You know, you're just like, well, I just stole some dead birds, mm -hmm. you know? And but that'd be like saying, well, I just, you know, I just stole the Lucy fossil. It's just some bones, you know? I mean, Can I, like, uh, I have a suggestion. Yeah. Hi, so I'm really not uh, convinced that prison is a useful tool for correction, corrective behavior, period. I think you're right. So for this, you know, it can't be cruel and unusual punishment, but I would suggest that he gets to go and do community service with a scientific institution to learn the process yeah. and the value for X number of months or years so he can understand how science works under some kind of supervision and have to produce something, um, something of valid scientific work of some kind to be determined. You know, it's an interesting idea. And for someone who is meticulous, like a flautist or a fly tire, right? They've got a high level of OCD, I would imagine. They might enjoy that work, you know, like sorting insects uh, for hours and hours. I've done that. It's boring, but some people love it. Hey. So. 
We're gonna go get bug. We're gonna go get macro invertebrates next month at the wetlands. <laughs> Dave Callum and I used to spend hours and hours. We had it called a bug nights at the local college, mm-hmm. and they would do the benthic studies, and we would sort insects. There's a perlidae, yep. and there's a helgramite. Mite. We just do the whole thing, and it was. <laughs> oh, I love the helgramites. I know it was fun, but it was it was it was it was tedious, and it smelled nice. So. <laughs> But I think it's a great idea, Doc, because we I do agree with you, by the way, especially for like nonviolent people. I don't see any need to put <laughs> to put people in jail if they're not if they're not dangerous to other people. I don't see any, mm-hmm. any reason why that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Uh, one of my big things is that uh, you know, there's a lot of ill gotten gains that he has there too that, you know, should have been um some sort of restitution. Yeah, like return well, the know, flute he, or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the TV, he stole. He, he covered that. Like oh, he stole it. When he got busted for stealing the feathers, rather than just admit stealing the feathers, he goes, oh, I also stole that TV. Well, stole the TV. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a really bad criminal. I mean, he's not, just well, a terrible criminal. I mean, it's like, him. yeah. I mean, he's not, not a, it, any kind of mastermind or anything like that. It's, I think he got lucky that he was, I mean, I think he got lucky and I say lucky in, in air quotes, um, you know, that he was able to just, you know, break out a window, walk in there, walk out with all this stuff and, and fly under the radar for as long as he did. I think he just got outrageously lucky. And then also there's the uh, kind of the, the complicity of the, of these, Atlantic salmon fly tires who, you know, they know that this stuff is not legit, but they're going to pretend like it is just so they can have their fun, you know? And I, I think that's a a big part of the book too, is a kind of the critique of this, you know, a lot of these characters in the, in the Atlantic fly, Atlantic salmon fly tying community seem pretty shady to me. Yeah. Well, that was an interesting thing, too, is so the forums where, uh, where Tris, uh, Edwin, whatever his name is, sold this stuff, kind of hid all the information as best they could. They took it all down and purged their website of it, and the author found a web-crawling program that actually had photos of the old things, and he did some deep research and found original buyers. He traveled to, was it Norway? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Norway. I think so. Yeah, some... some some northern country uh, to find out someone who was a friend is a, who helped sell this. Along, yeah. Mm-hmm. Traveled to Long's place, learned all about the stuff he sold, and everyone just seemed to like crack under no pressure at all. Like, no one had to talk to this guy at all. And he would go talk to him and they would just spill everything. Well, you know, I think part of that is when that, that community isn't asking the questions, I don't think they thought anybody would. Well, and, and then they got, they got mad because the author posted back in those forums, hey, listen, I found out some more information on this. If anyone has any of these skins and wants to return them, I can help you get them back without any. Anyway, he got blasted by the fly tying community about bringing it up at all. It got basically cut off and banned from this page. Oh, I'm so shocked that you would have done that. I had no idea. Yeah, okay. <laughs> nice <Yeah>. try. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you really, it was, it was a testament of the next level of fly tying snobs in the way that they need their stuff more than they need to care about uh, science or anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, yeah, it's like, it, it, it's beyond anything. It's like, it, it's an obsession so great 
that you know these people are willing to break you know pretty serious laws mm-hmm. uh, to to do this hobby, and I that's the thing that you know we can look at the moral and ethical aspects of it from like an environmental or ecological standpoint, or you know the theft of the things from a scientific standpoint or whatever. But this is also very illegal. You yeah. know, and well, um, you, Jeff, you know, in your in your adventures in in your fishing life, have you ever broken a law purposely? No, really, no. Lie. I don't keep like undersized fish. I don't like I mean, a doobie I'm, while you're fishing. No, I speed. No. <laughs> See that lobby? Uh, I rolled. No, I'm pretty. I'm. I'm, I'm I'm pretty hardcore about the rules and fishing, you know, I mean, that's like the rules are the rules and that's what they are. And, you know, sometimes you like hook a fish in a catch and release only section and you know, you're like, Oh, this fish is hurt. It's going to die, but you just have to let it go. You know I mean? Like you can justify keeping it, but then, you know, everybody's going to go, well, I hooked it. It started bleeding. So I'm going to keep it. Is, 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 so we all, break laws. We do. Yeah, we all do break laws. Not, not you, not you. The rest of us all, all break laws on occasion and we all find a way to justify why we did it. You know, I ran a stoplight a few weeks ago because it cycled through the light twice and never turned green for me, so I blew the light. I've you done know, that before. I said the words, it's a light, not a force field, and I went through it. Um, <laughs> and I justified it because it wasn't a force field. It worked fine. Uh, <laughs> you've done that before, Doc? Yeah, I think it was in my hometown and there must have been something wrong with the sensors and it was, it was really late at night. So, you know, after nine o'clock, it's a freaking ghost town anyway. And I was driving back to my parents' house when I was visiting from probably college and I had sat there at this dang light for like 10 minutes. And I was like, what is happening with this? And so I was like, I'm just going to go. There's literally, there's no one here. It's just not working. This is not my problem. <laughs> You're like, yeah, mom, let's do it. <laughs> I love it. I've done. That's exactly what I've done. So we've all we've all done it and justified. This is just like a bigger level because he was justifying it because no one needed those skins as far as he was concerned, and he needed a fluke. Yeah, but he was wrong. Uh, People do need those was? skins. Yeah. So I, I mean, maybe I could have been wrong. Maybe there was somebody around and I didn't see them. Like that could have been a possibility, and then I could have had an accident. Mm-hmm. I was pretty go. confident because, like, you can see really, really far in all directions. <laughs> Your eyes were working well that night. Um, so, so he made justification saying, "What difference does it make anyway? What good is the steps to the scientific community?" Um, was it Long or was it him who was very religious and believed evolution wasn't a thing? Who was that guy? That was the uh, South African. Oh, yeah. Guy. That's right. I forgot about yeah. that. And, and so when they were talking to the South African guy, they said, do you see the, the value of this? And he's like, no, because evolutionists pretend. Yeah, I like wanted to punch that guy. Yeah, that guy's attitude just all, all around. I was just like, I, I don't know who this guy is, but I want to punch him. Arrogant and greedy <laughs> and just yeah. narcissistic. Oh, my God. Yeah. But can we also mention that ignorance of the law does not mean you're exempt from the law, right? So just because he doesn't see the value in it, because he's not a scientist, doesn't mean it's not there. It's like, well, you know, I've never actually seen the sun at night, so it's probably not there. I mean, you know, if you want to give a little hyperbole to prove a point, but... (laughs) 
I think well, no, I mean, I've, uh, I've, I, you know, I've seen people like try to do the ignorance of the law thing, you know, and you're just like, uh, the one time I was, I was out hunting with a friend and he had taken the, um, in, in a shotgun, when you're hunting, you can only have like X amount of shells in, in the magazine. And he had taken the thing out that it's called a plug that restricts the number of shells. And he didn't know that that was illegal, you know, um, in Missouri to, or I think probably anywhere, but I know Missouri and, you know, we got stopped by a game warden and next thing you know, he's getting cuffed, you know, he's like, well, I didn't know. I'm like, well, too bad. <laughs> Sorry. The fact that you didn't know doesn't excuse you. Mm-hmm. you yeah. Know, so I didn't know climbing through a window and breaking it and opening a drawer and stealing stuff was wrong. You know, that actually reminds he- me of something that um, when I was doing my prelim exams for my uh, dissertation, and one of the things I said at the beginning was, you know, they asked me a bunch of questions. I, I passed them, right? And so one of the things I said was, you know, well, I don't really know the answer to that question. Here's what I think, blah, 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 blah. But we haven't covered that in any of the classes that I took. And my advisor goes, you know, Erica, just because it's not covered in the classes doesn't mean you're exempt from knowing things. So <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Very humbling I moment. <laughs> That should be a t-shirt. I love that. It is, and it's so true, though. It's like just... It's, it's kind of graduate school written. That's mm-hmm. in graduate school in a nutshell. You need to know everything. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's so, it's so funny because I would find it refreshing if someone said, I don't know, as opposed to like someone making up some BS. You know, like I, I oh. love hearing... And the I people don't that don't know, and then they still say it, I'm reading it, and I'm like, I know you don't know. I know that you don't know that thing. <laughs> You don't know that you don't know that thing, but everybody else that knows about that thing knows you don't know. Oh my God. So <laughs> I can't read comment sections anymore. <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> drives me crazy. Especially on scientific articles. Oh Lord, help me. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, anyway. that's basically our, 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 our fish nerd book review for the Feather Thief. Uh, I liked it. Did you it. like the book? Yeah. yeah. I, I liked it. I thought it was a, a pretty good pretty good story like i said i liked it was a kind of a true crime from a different angle yeah. a look into a weird subculture which i always find interesting these weird subcultures of you know i mean i like to tie flies but i don't want to you know get a endangered species for thousands of dollars to make fancy things that i would never ever fish with you know that just doesn't really appeal to me um you know, much more. I want to make these things because I want to fish with them um, or give them to other people to fish with, you know, but um, yeah, anytime I can kind of get into like a, a, an interesting subculture, that's interesting. And yeah, I, the scientific angle, I'm very much, you know, with, with doc on the, you know, they just had these people, they know that there's really scientific value to it. And they're just saying that, they're justifying it, but they know, they really know. They're just, they're just, they're justifying it so that they can continue to do the thing they want to do. Mm-hmm. There are perfectly, you know, people have come up with all sorts of modern legal alternatives to all this stuff so that you can make these fancy fancy flies <laughs> that look almost identical to the, you know, the original Victorian patterns and you don't have to have any endangered species or anything like that. But you know, this quest for like authenticity and, you know, I don't know, just to be the big, the big dog, you know, I have, you know, I can do this like they did it in, you know, 1895, you know, England, 
you know, some. Well, why would you want to? I mean, honestly, like, like <laughs> nothing else in 1895 worked well. Why would you want to tie a fly like that? It doesn't matter. That's <laughs> you know, some of them are uh, objectively beautiful. Yeah, you know, are, you know, but um, but they're like not. They're way beyond any point of functionality. You right. know, they're like just. It's an art form that has become detached from the actual sport, and they, they have like because I went kind of on a deep dive of looking at a bunch of this stuff on the internet and some of them are, are now there's just kind of this freestyle um, version of doing this kind of stuff where, you know, it's not even, it wouldn't even be effective as a fishing fly, mm-hmm. right? It's just totally a, a work of art um, that isn't, doesn't even have any utility as a, as a fishing fly. Whereas some of the traditional patterns were actually fished and can be fished um, if you were dumb enough to throw a fly worth a couple hundred dollars into the water. Um, the, yeah. Yeah. Or dumb and rich, which is apparently a very common combination. Um, I would like to be both dumb and rich right now. I've got 50% of those two things. <laughs> but anyway, if, yeah. If you add like them together, the, you have a hundred percent is all I'm saying. It's math yeah. play. It's math. If I can add them both together, I don't have them both. That's so. right. <laughs> so, yeah, so the artistic aspect of it, I think, is, is another thing that is, and again, it's detached from the original utility. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, only really a very small number of people actually care about this, right. you know, but it's worth crimes and <laughs> crazy amounts of money I, to, 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 to do this. Can I give you an ahead, example yeah. of how I feel about that? Okay, so, you know, within the community, they think they're really fancy. And, oh, my gosh, I made this awesome fly, blah, 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 blah. So um, I know this will be shocking to you, but some scientists have that same attitude of, oh, I'm so intelligent, blah, 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 blah. And I can't stand that arrogance. It drives me absolutely bananas. And so um, one gentleman scientist was talking about being a little just bragging and kind of being arrogant and I said, oh, cool. And I, and I said, you know, who's the most famous person in our field, do you think? And they thought, oh, well, that's an interesting question. And so they named the person. And I go, if I called up my mother right now and I said, hey, mom, have you ever heard of blah, blah, blah? What do you think she'd say? And they're like, oh, no, my mom and dad wouldn't know who they were. Oh, my cousin wouldn't know. And I go, exactly. <laughs> like, like, congratulations, Nobody knows who you are. Chances of any of us making this huge difference is about zero. That doesn't mean it's not important work. I value what I do. But to be that arrogant about it is just why? Just why? What's the point? And we saw that in other books we've read, too. The arrogance kind of carries through Mm -hmm. everything. When we read the um, uh, Why Fish Don't Exist book, we saw that a lot in that book, how arrogance and science gets in our way. Uh-huh. Um, on, on, a, on a downside, I will give a negative piece in this book. I'm, I'm at three out of five stars in this book, by the way. Wouldn't change a thing. Um, but the, <laughs> the, the other thing I saw in this, and I saw this in the Lulu Miller book too, and a few other books I read, the science kind of like science traveling books. So I don't know how to describe this genre of book, but it's somehow the author always tries to fit their story into the book, it doesn't fit. It doesn't even matter mm-hmm. to the book. So in this one, we hear about PTSD and we, you know, I appreciate people's service and that they need to get through their, through PTSD or whatever they have to do it. And he wrote the book because of that, and he kept, like, there'd be like a sentence here and there referring back to, 
to his time. I must have blanked you know. that all out. It was all the trying to resettle the uh, like people that had worked with the American forces in Iraq yeah. and Afghanistan that were now under like serious danger. Right. You know, as as we have abandoned them, right. <laughs> basically. Well, he had a nonprofit. You know, he started where he, yeah. he fighted, but 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 it didn't help the book at all. No. Yeah. You could have taken you know fifty pages out, wouldn't notice it. Same with the Lulu Miller book. We had to hear about her, you know, transformation. You know, into to finding out who she really was. It didn't add or help the book at all. And we see it in a lot of that kind of style of writing. It's very popular right now. Hmm. They have these great investiga- write these investigative journalist stories. And then some, it must be the editor or someone saying, oh, Make add your personal. story in there. And they try to piece it in. And for me, it never works for me. Like their own story might be great as a, their own story. I think I, just, I think I just like, I read it and mm-hmm. then I just throw it away. I don't think that I... I internalize it at all. I just am like, oh, okay, we're going to talk about this. Not important. I just zoom through it and then focus on the other right. stuff. Cause I, I don't remember that in his book at all. <laughs> I find it to be a distraction. I get like, why are you like, what is it? I, tell me about the feather guy. I don't care. I, I, I mean, I care, but I don't, you know, I don't know. So that's where I'm at out of that. So that's our review of, <laughs> of the feather thief. Good Fishner's book club. I, yeah. I did enjoy show. the book. It's really easy to read. I read it in like yeah, it's three a quick days. Read. Yeah, it was really Yeah, fast. it's a very quick read. So. I listened to it in six hours, 11 minutes. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's probably about as long as it took me to, to read it over three days because I usually read during CC's nap time, which is 1 to 3 p.m. <laughs> Look, at Look at you. Well, that ran a little bit longer than I expected, so we're actually going to not do all the other elements I wanted to put in. Good, because I'm really tired, and it's 8.30, which is like 30 minutes till Doc Martin goes to sleep. <laughs> I got, <laughs> I'm potty uh, I training to a toddler, so it's a little exhausting. <laughs> I have to go watch a uh, British television show with my wife now and drink whiskey. So that's my plan tonight. Oh, nice. I have, I have my tea. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so fancy. Well, you, guys, you, guys, you all were talking about Helgramites. I like blew up a fly tying group for my like shelf liner Helgramite. I loved it. Yeah, it's like it's like the like biggest post I think I've ever done anywhere. It's like I'm like pushing like a thousand like responses <laughs> to it and, and stuff. Yeah, and I'm just like, and it's not even an original idea. I just said, hey, I saw somebody else did this and posted it, you know. And so like, I don't go looking for you know hundred dollar feathers. I go rummaging around the hardware store, and you know, you can buy stuff at the fly shop, and a lot of that's all fine and good. But you can find these interesting materials that you didn't know were usable to make flies or lures or whatever we should have a fish nerds competition where we tie flies using ridiculous things and then clay judges them yeah that would be good because john would be john would be in on that big time yeah we have to like say you can't use things like there's things you can't use we'll have it's like you have to go in your recycle bin in your house oh god (laughs) okay i like that that's really fun you're not allowed to use uh any feathers Oh, yeah, no feathers, obvious. no fur, yeah. no, no fur. nothing like that. Yep. Yeah, just just trash. Yeah. That's well, we, not only that, we got to do bonus if you can catch a fish on them. Yeah, definitely. Like that'd be awesome. All right. Well, listen, we're going to end it here. Yay! And uh, Stock Martin can go to bed. Yay. I'm so happy to see both of you. It's been a long time. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've been crazy busy. Uh, we've all been busy. Yeah. Been a- this whole year sucked. <laughs>
Welcome, fellow fish nerds, to the latest edition of Fish Guy Follows, with me, your host, Fish Guy Josh, where we take a look at some of the fishiest things in social media, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, we cover it. So hang on tight while the rest of this song rocks your face off, and then sit back and relax. It's time for Fish Guy Follows. Greetings, fellow fish nerds. It's Fish Guy Josh, back again with another edition of Fish Guy Follows. Today we're going to hop on the social media platform YouTube and we're going to take a look at a channel I like to follow called Tracker Products. And that's Tracker spelled T-R-A-K-K-E-R. Now, as a lot of you may or may not know, uh, one of my big interests in fishing is carp fishing. Uh, I befriended a few European carp anglers and started tagging along on some of their carp sessions and really got into it. And one of the big things about the European carp fishing style is a lot of different equipment. They do a lot of overnight fishing. So there's a lot of gear centered around not only carp fishing, but staying warm, comfortable, and dry on the bank for long periods of time. Now, one of the most popular companies in Europe that produces a lot of this equipment is Tracker. And Tracker's got some great gear. I have a lot of their gear. But the great thing about this is even if you're not into carp fishing, a lot of their equipment is basically clothing, camping, bags, things like that. So it's a lot of things that I I think are useful for any angler that likes to be outside for long periods of time. Uh, Even people who aren't angling and just in the outdoors, there's a lot of great gear that I think you can utilize and implement into your camping, hunting, or fishing gear. And the channel, Tracker Products, basically are short videos of each of the products that they put out. And these guys don't just camp on one product line for years and years. Every year, they're putting out a lot of great new stuff. So you can be guaranteed that almost every season there's going to be something new posted on there. And they're really useful, really cool, a lot of interesting things. I think you'll get a big kick out of it if you're you're an equipment guy like me. Uh, I think you'll geek out pretty hard on this channel. And I personally like to go to Johnson Ross Tackle, which is a UK-based online store that sells a lot of tracker products. This is one of the best places to get some of these tracker products you're going to see on this video. And you can also go to bigcarptackle.com, which is another carp fishing website, but based out of Oklahoma. And both of these places have a lot of what you're going to see on these videos. So if you see them and go, well, it's just in Europe. I mean, I'm never going to have this. Trust me, it's pretty easy to find. And I don't think you'll be disappointed when you get some of this gear Uh, Tracker products are great, and this channel in particular is really cool because you get to see all the cool gadgets and tents and clothing and bags, etc. that they have to offer. So check it out, Tracker Products, that's T-R-A-K-K-E-R Products on YouTube. Don't forget you can also follow me, Fish Guy Josh, on YouTube and all the other social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Parler, and Instagram. And I'll see you guys on the next go-round. Check one, two. Is this thing working? This thing's working. This thing's working. Push the music buttons.
Okay. Hey everyone, I love podcasts. Who's got recommendations and send? That was quick. Do you like comedy? What about movies? Pop culture? Um, yeah. Do you like animals? What about science? Well, yeah. Do you dig plants? What about writing, snacks, rambling, and rants? Well, I... Making improv and interviews, Canadians, Australians, boating forecasts and super reviews, ladies, gentlemen, cretins, or comic books, script reads, bad TV, heads that shut, perfectly picked packages popping up, podcasts pointing people to discover other podcasts. Yes? Fantastic. Check out the Podfix Network. Podfixnetwork.com at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on the gram. Plus, check out Podfix Presents wherever fine podcasts are found. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved. Hey guys, look at that adorable town. There's the classic New England church, the quaint village store, all surrounding that beautiful pond. The sparkling snow-frosted pines. Oh, look, they're ice skating and all those folks ice fishing. This is God's country. Let's go ice fishing this weekend, please, Dad. Yeah, let's try something new. We already have all of our warm stuff for skiing. Plus, the kid is actually making plans to put down her tablet for a change. It's certainly something different, and it sounds really fun. But how? Hey, I know a few guys. Have you ever thought about hitting the hard water but don't know where to start? I'm Clay, licensed fishing guide, and my partner Vinny and I can get you on and off the ice safely. All you need is warm clothes and a fishing license, and the Fish Nerds Guide Service will do the rest. Go to fishnerds.com for pricing and information. So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Big fat thank you to Jeff Donaldson and huge thank you to Doc Martin for the Fish Nerds Book Club this month. It was longer than we expected, but man, was it a good book and worth our time. Thanks to Fish Guy Josh for the Fish Guy Follows segment. We appreciate your work and big thanks to Wally Pleasant for our theme music. Uh, And that's it. (laughs) That's it. That's the whole show. So, Until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd spawn early and often. Never trust a free lunch with strings attached and swim against the current every chance you get. Bye. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.